The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio, we're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And today marks a milestone Guys Guys radio show. This is our 500th episode. Wow, it's gone fast and we've got so much ahead of us, but 500 shows. I've interviewed over 600 thought leaders from all walks of life and 500 shows, and I'm so pleased and proud of the work we've done here to bring you all these wonderful guests and so many teachings and different perspectives. And I've got a great guest today to mark our 500th show. As I teased last week, it's uh, one of the stars of the movie The Secret and the book The Secret. His name is Dr. Joe Vitale, and he's going to join us today. Mr. Fire himself is going to be here, and we're going to talk about the Hawaiian teachings called Ho'oponopono. You may not have heard of it, but I got to tell you, it's a wonderful spiritual practice, very simple to do, and it's uh, very helpful. I've been doing it since I read Joe's book, Zero Limits, The Secret Hawaiian System for Health, Wealth, Peace, and More. And also I learned a lot from my conversation with Joe. And I think you'll be able to break it down pretty simply if you listen to our conversation and also if you check out his book, Zero Limits, and just do any type of Googling about Ho'oponopono online. I think you'll find uh, there's a lot of information about it. And it's a really positive practice and it really helps kind of clean up various areas of our lives, whether it's family relationships, partnerships, business, even things that happened to you in your childhood with friends, just any people you've had to deal with, any type of situations, whether it's legal, educational, business, just anything you can work on through using the practice of Ho'oponopono. And it's really broken down to four simple phrases. I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And thank you. And we're going to get into that with my special guest on our 500th Guys Guys radio show, Dr. Joe Vitale, and it's coming up right now. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay. I have a very, very special guest today on Guys Guys Radio. His name is a familiar one, and he's helped people around the world for years. His name is Dr. Joe Vitale. To say that Dr. Joe is a man of many talents is an understatement to millions of readers, seekers, listeners, and movie watchers. He's the man who speaks to their desire to enhance their lives. He's a source of profound, life-changing wisdom, inspirational words, and music that touches our hearts. He shows how miracles can be achieved every day. I want to give you a little bit more background on Dr. Joe because he's an interesting and fascinating person and he gives so much. So I want everybody to get to know him and his story. 
and our show today. So he was once homeless. He became a luminary in the personal growth world. One of the stars of the blockbuster film, The Secret, who I'm sure everybody's seen many times, and author of the multiple best-selling books, The Attractor Factor, Life's Missing Instruction Manual, The Key, Faith, Attract Money Now, Zero Limits, which I just finished, and the sequel, At Zero, which teaches the fourth tenant really is about achieving enlightenment. Basically, Dr. Cho helps people clear their blocks, create unobstructed pathways to personal and financial success. He's an authentic man. He's a practitioner of modern Ho'oponopono, a certified Reiki healer, Qigong practitioner, clinical hypnotherapist, NLP practitioner, ordained minister, and he has a doctorate in metaphysical science. Today, we're going to focus most of our discussion on his seminal book, Zero Limits, about Ho'oponopono, which I just finished. It guides supporters through life with tools to help open themselves up to infinite possibilities that can lead to enlightenment. For me, after interviewing over 600 thought leaders from around the world about their books and practices, Zero Limits and the practice of Ho'oponopono are game changers. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Dr. Joe Vitale. My goodness, that introduction was so long, I thought I should get lunch and come back in a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. You're such an accomplished individual across disciplines, from uh, inspirational public speaking, writing bestsellers, music marketing, healing modalities, but but one time you were homeless. Can you share your journey into and out of homeless with our listeners, just to kind of level set here? Yeah, that's something I used to not talk about because it it just wasn't party time. That was uh, very depressing, discouraging, embarrassing, traumatic. So yeah, I was homeless way back in Dallas, way back in the 1970s. And how I got there was I was pursuing a dream and I wanted to be a published author. And along the way, I had saved a little bit of money from the labor that I had done on the railroad. And I gave it to some people who promised to get me some work and it didn't work out. And before you know, it, one thing led to another. And I was without money, without recourse, without resources and without a lifeline. And you have to remember it was before the internet where today we have so many resources that we take for granted. But back then in the 1970s, it was fairly limited. So how did I get out of it? I was always working on myself and I was living in the Dallas Public Library. That's where I was homeless. And it had water, it had a bathroom, it had air conditioning, and it had what I love most, and that's books. And I'd sit there in the Dewey Disable. 600 area, reading all the self-improvement books and the pop psychology and the metaphysics and psychology, and then do my best to clumsily apply it to myself. And what I was discovering very slowly, because I was doing the self-reflection without a coach, without a mentor, without support, without a cheerleader, it's just me. What I discovered is that our beliefs create our reality, but our beliefs that stem from our unconscious are the most powerful. And because they're unconscious, most of us don't know what they are. In my case, I had unconsciously decided that in order to be a successful author, I needed to suffer. And because I modeled such legends as Jack London and Ernest Hemingway, I not only needed to suffer, but I needed to have a miserable life and then end it by my own hand. And so suicide was on the, on the docket for me, so to speak. So I had to wake up to what my belief system was. And then I had to go, wait a minute, if I'm modeling my life after these lousy lifestyle aborted lives of Jack London and Ernest Hemingway, maybe there's some happy, well-adjusted authors I can model instead. 
when I found them and started to model them, I slowly began to change. So waking up to beliefs, I still think that's the key for all of us, no matter what we're going through. And it's part of my message through everything from books to music to movies to on stages, getting to talk to people. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but it, to me, it's an inspirational story as in just about everything you've done. So I wanted to uh, see if you were willing to chat about that. So thank you very much. Um, so when you broke out of that and you kind of broke through, what was the breakthrough? What was your first book? Why did you write it? And did you consider it a success? Great questions. And first of all, I don't mind talking about anything. I used to not talk about homelessness because it was embarrassing until I realized it's an opportunity to inspire people. And so now I own it and now I share it, hoping to light a fire under folks so that they can go for their dreams too. But I was not an overnight success. Getting out of homelessness was only the first step. I was in poverty for 10 years 10 years of struggle when I was in Houston. And I'm telling you, I lived in a dump of a place. I actually got married. It was two lonely people trying to find some semblance of happiness. And we really struggled. Our little efficiency had the bathroom and the, and the toilet and the TV all in the same room. And I could barely pay for that. Usually I couldn't pay for it. I was scrambling all the time. So I was in poverty for a good 10 years, struggling, taking these day labor jobs and everything else while trying to write and having my dream that I was pursuing. My first book was in 1984. It took a long time to get there. And on one level, I celebrated because I'm finally a published author and I can hold up a book as proof. But on Another very big level, it was one of the great disappointments at that point, because I realized publishers are just glorified printers. They typically don't know how to market, and they simply don't get behind a first-time author. And I realized with a tremendous cathartic shock to my system that I would have to learn something I didn't know anything about, and that was marketing. So the book, 1984, was a turning point. I was finally published. I was great. But I also learned that I better discover and become good at marketing or I will just die unknown because my next book wasn't for another 10 years after that. So I am not an overnight success. And I don't think anybody that's a big success is an overnight success. If you look at their story, you usually find out it took you know at least 10 years and sometimes three decades. That's true. So overnight, ha. Interesting. You know, I, I wrote my first novel and didn't get published. I got rejected over 90 times. And I took a step back and I said, what did I learn from this? Well, I remember crying when I wrote The End. And I said, I learned how to write a novel. And it satisfied me. And then I wrote another one and I got rejected 100 times. And then I got picked up. And I was so thrilled. And I said, if I could just see that book in print and have one person have it in their hand, I'd be thrilled. And that happened. And of course, after that, you're like, now I want everybody to have it. But it's like you got to stick with it. You got to you got to say, uh, you know, you can't you can't write for the market. You have to write it for yourself and you have to have something to say and make it about something. So thank you for sharing that story. So let's fast forward to the secret. How did you kind of break through and get on this path and become well known and then get cast in this blockbuster movie that was really probably a game changer, even for somebody like you, who is a marketing juggernaut? Well, we need to go a little bit before the secret. My okay. first book was 1984, and as I mentioned, the next one wasn't for another 10 years. But when they started to come out around 1995, I started to crank out some books. And I started to make a name for myself as a copywriter, as a marketer, 
as a publicist. And I was loving it. I invented hypnotic writing. I wrote a book called Hypnotic Writing. It was my first ebook. The internet was coming along about that same time. People were wondering about it, curious about it. We all went online and started stumbling around trying to find out how to make money online. I was one of the first. I was one of the pioneers. And people who know me before The Secret know me as an internet marketer and a hypnotic copywriter from that period. So I was getting a bit of a name for myself online, and I was living in Houston, and certainly in Houston at that time. I was being asked to speak. Uh, my reputation was growing. I'm, I'm by no means rich and famous, but I'm not in poverty anymore. I'm not homeless anymore, and I'm starting to climb up the ladder of success. Now, as I'm sharing all this, I'm also writing books on spirituality and metaphysics. And I'm kind of putting it on the side and I don't really promote it because now I'm working for conservative companies. I'm being produced by Nightingale Conant and American Management Association, American Marketing Association. So I didn't want to go and say, hey, I'm in the woo-woo too. And I talk to angels and I believe in, in the, something called the law of attraction. But I would put it in an occasional little book. And what's Interesting is that the universe wanted that more than it wanted me as a copywriter or marketer, because my little book, in particular, there was one called Spiritual Marketing. That thing took off. People were buying it. People were telling everybody about it. I put it online. I gave it away because I just felt like that was the right thing to do. It was a form of what I call karmic marketing. So I gave it away. Spiritual marketing probably was downloaded by 5 million people. Then it was picked up by a print-on-demand publisher. Then it became my first Amazon bestseller. Then the New York Times wrote about it, wrote about me. Then a big publisher in New Jersey, Jay Wiley, contacted me and said, we want to republish your book, but we don't like the title. And so I retitled Spiritual Marketing. It became The Attractor Factor. The Attractor Factor is still today one of my hands-down greatest self-improvement books. And it was The Attractor Factor that Rhonda Byrne in Australia read and called me. And I didn't know who she was. She just called me from Australia saying, I'm a movie producer. I want to make a movie about this concept, the law of attraction. I read your book, The Attractor Factor, and I want you to be in it. And I didn't know her from Adam. And I heard from people all the time who have wild ideas and don't do anything. But I told her politely, I said, well, it's a great idea. If you get it together and you raise the funds and you have a script and you'd like me to show up, then, you know, I'll show up. I hung up, never think I'd hear from her again. And of course, a month later, I did. I said, yes, I was filmed for a movie that nobody knew would make history. Nobody knew would change the lives of millions of people and still is 16 years later. And of course, I didn't know what it would do for my life and career. I was already doing pretty well as internet marketing goes, but I was shot into outer space because of my appearance in The Secret. That's the longer short story. Okay. So what happened to you? What happened to your life from there? And what was the experience of shooting the movie like? Did you make friends with the other cast members? Do you guys stay in touch? And what did you learn from the secret itself and also from your experience? Yeah, those are well, those are a lot of questions there. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, my part was shot separately. 
most people don't know when Rhonda was filming the movie, she went to a group of people called the Transformational Leadership Council. I wasn't even a member then. I am a member now. And they meet twice a year and they were meeting in Denver. And so you have the great thought leaders, the great self-improvement people, all the best-selling authors in that field of popular psychology, the alternative scientists, they're all grouped and meet in the Transformational Leadership Council. She went to one of their meetings and she filmed everybody at that meeting. So she had all the footage she needed. I was not there. I was the exception in the sense that she reached out to me and said, I want to film you for the movie. I didn't know about the Transformational Leadership Council. I didn't know about all the other people filmed. I didn't know her. But she flew me to Chicago. I was living in Central Texas, said she needed me for two hours. She had rented a hotel room and she had lights and camera and camera people and a makeup artist and her. And I went in the, the hotel room. They put the makeup on me, had me sit in a chair. And then she just started firing questions at me. I didn't know what the questions would be. Everything I answered was in totally ad-libbed um, uh, improv right there in the moment. It's as present as can be. The cool thing about it is I kind of enjoyed the process. I found that I could answer her questions pretty readily and easily and briefly. But there was one moment when she said, those are all my questions. Does anybody in the room have a question? And there was a sound engineer who hadn't said a word, ironically, the whole time he was there. And he said, I have a question. If we all can get whatever we want, why don't we all go for the same thing and then we'll just run out of it? And I said, turn the camera back on. They turned the camera back on and that's where I said the famous lines that are in the movie, The Secret, about we never run out because we all don't go for the very same thing. We all don't want a BMW. We all don't want the same house. I was interviewed for NBC News just yesterday and they were talking about uh, vision boards. And I said, well, you can put on the vision board the big house you want. And she said, I don't want a big house. I want a little house. Well, there's evidence right there. Everybody wants something different. <laughs> and so the making of the movie was a breeze. It was fun. The only thing that was irritating to me is that I was ready to promote that movie the day after I was filmed. And I had to wait six months <laughs> before she gave the go ahead to promote it. I had the email written to promote it to my list. And every day I'd check to see, is okay to, do I have the green light? And then when she did give the green light to promote the secret, I was the very first person to promote it because my email promoting it was already written. Everything was lined up. I was waiting. I knew the movie, I knew the movie would be good. I didn't know it would be great to legendary. Dr. Joe Vitale is my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. We're talking about the secret and we're going to move to zero limits. But as a bridge, manifesting and the secret itself, what did they get right in the secret? What did they maybe not get right in the secret? And what do people do wrong when it comes to manifesting? First of all, I think the movie is great for introducing the idea of the law of attraction. Uh, it's taken a lot of hits. It's taken a lot of criticism and skepticism. And I think that's unfortunate because it's only a freaking movie. It's not supposed to be the graduate course and how to manifest your reality. It's an introduction to an idea. From that standpoint, it wins prizes, in my opinion. And I would tell people to watch it whether I was in it or not. It's that good. Now, where it's a little lacking and where people are missing a little bit is that it doesn't talk enough about taking action. 
So a lot of people walk, watch the movie and they think, oh, if I just visualize, if I just meditate and I just get comfortable in this chair and look at pictures of the car I want or the person I want, the doorbell will ring and there the car will be or the person will be. And, and life does have that happen. I believe in magic and miracles, but I also know life is a co-creation. And that means you have something to do. I've written over 80 books, and I often tell people, look, if I just sat in my chair and visualized being an author, I would still not be an author. At some point, after visualizing and meditating and doing all the feel-good stuff, I have to get up and go to, in the old days, the typewriter, these days, to a laptop or a computer, and I have to start typing. <laughs> and that's the thing that a lot of people overlook. I think the biggest thing that people miss is that the law of attraction is a way to use your mind to get results, but you still have to use your body to help co-create what you're looking for. And I believe this is true whether we're talking about opening a business or writing a book or going after the love of your life or and probably anything that you can name. Life is a co-creation. And I think people miss that, and the movie didn't really deliver on that aspect. Let's move <clears> to <throat> Zero Limits. You have a relationship with Dr. Hewlin, and it's about Ho'oponopono, which is a Hawaiian modality that you guys kind of updated and adapted for today's world. And it's it seems to be about, because I just finished the book, so let me try out, see if I understand it, and then you can correct okay. me for our audience. It's about a core process consisting of cleaning using four phrases. I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. Can you articulate how the cleaning process is designed to work? It sounds like if someone you have a, had a contact with has a problem, whether with you or whatever, the fact that you're aware of it makes it part of your subconscious. So you need to offer it up through your consciousness to the superconsciousness to the divine for cleansing for your energetic realm. So you're not necessarily taking on the other person's issues, which would become draining, but your awareness of it which makes it a part of your field, requires you to clean it out of you, which in turn will also eliminate or transmute it from the other person. So if you know someone who's being a jerk, you acknowledge that their jerkiness is part of you, and now you need to offer it up to the divine for cleaning to get it out of you and out of the other person, and so on and so on and so on. And as you say, clean, clean, clean. <laughs> well, what you said is a mouthful and helps explain why I, I wrote three books to get this across. So let me back up and say okay. what I think is going to be useful to help clarify some things that you. you just brought up. The first is the story that I first heard and the story that is the basis of the first book, Zero Limits, is the story of a unusual therapist who helped heal an entire ward of mentally ill criminals, but by not working on them, but by working on himself. So let's stop right there. These mentally ill criminals are sedated or shackled because they are dangerous. They have been sentenced to be in a mental institution for the criminally insane. So that's where they're at. And here comes this therapist who says, well, I'm going to do my own brand of therapy, which means he's not really sitting with them. He's not doing therapy on any of the patients. He's using the patients as a kind of trigger to what's inside himself. Now, this is important. He's looking at the patient's charts, and these guys, they were killers, they were rapists, they did dastardly things. So he's looking at their charts, and now he's feeling repulsed, he's feeling rage, he's feeling anger. He notices that all those feelings are in him. 
So as he's feeling these different things that separate him from peace, using the records of the inmates as the trigger to bring those up, as he's feeling them within himself, he's applying at the very basic level the four phrases of ho'oponopono, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And those four phrases are said as a kind of prayer or petition to the great something, which some people would call God, the higher power, the divine, cosmos, there's lots of different names for this. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He's essentially working on himself to try to find his inner peace. He's asking his connection to the divine to clean up in him what is keeping him from being serene in this moment. And as he finds his inner peace, because the unconscious beliefs that were causing him to be upset are now being unraveled, they're being erased, it's called data in Ho'oponopono. The data is being deleted in him. Here's the magic. Not only does he feel better, but the inmates started to get better. And I'm pausing for dramatic emphasis because Dr. Hu Len, who's the therapist we're talking about here, he's also the co-author of the first book, Zero Limits, with me. I worked with him to tell the story and to bring Ho'oponopono to the modern masses. He was working on himself, and those patients started to get better slowly at first, but within a couple months, they didn't have to be shackled. Then they didn't have to be sedated. And then under review, some of them were pronounced healthy again and were being released. And within four years, that entire ward that he had worked in was closed. Now, this right there, this is the most miraculous story. And this is what captivated me. And this is what made me reach out and find Dr. Hulan, because at that point, when I first learned of this around 2005, there was nothing on the internet and nobody knew about the therapist. And the story was more like an urban legend. But I thought, if this is true, then somebody needs to tell the world. And so I found the therapist. I brought him to my home. We did three workshops together around the world, and we worked on Zero Limits to bring it to the masses. So when you are describing that you're doing the inner work because of something on the outside that may have bothered us, this is, this is huge. This is massive. This is so life-altering to get. It's the idea that every single problem we have is a problem of perception. It's a problem of perception. And what that means is, where do we feel the problem? Inside ourselves. Why do we call it a problem? We judged it that way. Yes, our mind can go and rationalize all kinds of different things. We can say, oh, so-and-so violated such and such, or this is a crime that was committed against so-and-so, or this was an injustice committed against me. Man, stop. Look inside yourself, because that mental BS is creating the pain within you. And it's being created because of your paradigm, which is your belief system, which is your mindset, which is mostly unconscious, subconscious. So Ho'oponopono is to do a deep dive and really join forces with the divine, whatever their concept is of a divine, and ask it to rectify, to remedy, to clean, to heal, to cure, to delete all that BS paradigm crap inside of us. Because when it's gone, what we called problems on the outside are no longer problems. 
they either get resolved, they move on, or you just don't take any notice of them anymore because your irritant, which was in you, is gone. First of all, it, it sounds like, and I'm asking as an advocate for our, our listeners because I'm just learning it the first time also. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the blockages that we're removing through cleaning allow us to get to the zero state, which is, allows the divine to come through. So we're, we're swashing those negative memories that have been implanted in our subconscious to allow more divinity to get to us so we can be more in touch with our, you know, every person is really, we're all divine, but half of our life is spent trying to strip away all that garbage so we can get to the divine. Does that make sense? And, and that's only the few people who are actually trying to strip it away. Most <laughs> people are the walking unconscious. And you are absolutely right there. And what we're doing in any moment we're either coming from what Dr. Hulen would call inspiration or we're coming from memory. And what most of us are doing 99.99999% of the time is coming from memory, which means we're not in the moment. We are reacting to the moment based on our previous wiring. This is why it's so easy for somebody to walk into a room and they react in a person in an instant way unique to that situation or to the people they see in that room. But they're not reacting on the purity of the moment or the essence that is the divine in that moment because their unconscious is projecting into this moment and the brain is looking, it's doing its own brain hack. It's going through to find similarities. And it'll say, oh, that person over there, that reminds me of Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe was never nice to me. So that person doesn't look very nice to me. But we're doing this at warp speed. The wheels in our brain are buzzing. And we don't, in a nanosecond or faster than that, all of this happens and we start having reactions to people. And the reactions aren't to the people. The reactions are to our memories that are being triggered by what we think is something we've seen before. So all of the cleaning and Ho'oponopono is to help us delete the interference between us and the purity of the moment. It's huge. So from a practical standpoint, I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. How, how do you deploy that? How often do you need to do that? Is it just once? I've gone through since I read the book, Dr. Joe, and I've thought about every person in my, I'm trying to get to every person I can recall in my life and clean every situation. I know it's going to take time, but somebody pops up from business, somebody pops up from a relationship, clean, 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 and I'm doing it wherever I go. Can you shed some light on this as from a practical standpoint, how do we clean? How many times is necessary for certain situations and people, et cetera? It's easier than what you think. How many times, how often you do it beginning now, nonstop, the rest of your life. <laughs> See? Easy. So when I first learned Ho'oponopono and the four phrases from Dr. Hulen, I had to write them down on a yellow sticky. You know, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. They weren't in my memory bank. And so I wrote them down on a yellow sticky and I put it on my computer and I put it on my phone and I put it on the bathroom mirror and I just started letting it trigger or a reminder to me to say it. And then I started noticing, oh, I already got it. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And I just kept saying it. And then as I just kept saying it, I found that it was the background audio to my thinking. It's even going on right now. I'm talking to you, but I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you is the wheels in the back of my head. And then I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be hearing myself go, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. (laughs) 
So by doing it a little bit, it gets installed as a new kind of self-talk. That's the first level. The second level is Dr. Hulan has answered the question about how often should you do it. He said all the time, nonstop. And why? Because we have so much clearing to do that we will probably not reach the end of it in our lifetime. It is a little bit like somebody had asked Buddha at one point, uh, how many times do we have to meditate to get something to happen? And he looked over at a mountain and he said, if you took a handkerchief or a cloth or a silk and just brushed it over the top of the mountain, as many times as it would take for you to make the mountain disappear <laughs> by, by just dragging that scarf over the silk over the top of the mountain, that's how many times you're supposed to meditate, <laughs> which means forever, forever. Okay. What I tell people is, how hard is it to say, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you? How hard? It's not hard at all. It's just a new meditation. Most of our thoughts, scientists have pointed out, are negative. They're critical. We have fifty to 60,000 thoughts a day. I don't know who counted them, but that's what they say. <laughs> and they're all critical. So let's stop and just say, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, enough times to let that be a new thought loop in our brain. And the more we do it, the, the more we'll see results. So let me say one more thing. Ho'oponopono works best when you have an issue that's in your face. You just said your old friend had written you and sent mm. you an email that apparently was disturbing enough that you had to put it aside and you weren't going to respond. Ideal time to aim Ho'oponopono at it. So, I mean, you're in the hot seat here, so just allow me and forgive me at the same time. Uh, and so, Robert, you got the email. And as you're in that email, you got, you felt something. And it could have been some sort of anger. It could have been resentment. You know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But whatever you were feeling in that moment, it probably wasn't happiness. It probably wasn't bliss. And so whatever you were feeling in that moment, you don't need to name it. You don't even know why. You don't need to know the beliefs behind it. But that's when you say to the divine, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And let me have one more minute to explain this. When you're saying those four phrases, what you're essentially saying, and I explain this in my books, you're essentially saying, I'm sorry for whatever these beliefs are or wherever they came from. Please forgive me to be for being unconscious to my own unconscious belief system. Thank you for deleting the programs in the way of my happiness. Thank you for cleaning up the situation. Thank you for making this healed. And I love you for my life. I love you for my process. I love you for the peace that you are bringing to me now. So the four phrases are kind of a shorthand for a bit longer of a prayer. But what we're basically doing is saying, I'm not happy right now. The trigger was whoever sent the email, but it doesn't matter. You know, the, a deer ran across the street in front of me when I was driving earlier and it irritated me. That's what was going on in that moment. It doesn't matter about the deer. It doesn't matter about the person who sent you the email. They were triggers. The trigger, though, is in you. And that's what we address. We look at the trigger. Divine, I don't know where that trigger came from. Please forgive me divine, I don't know how to get rid of the trigger. I'm sorry. Divine, I need your help right now. Thank you for coming in and healing this of me. And I love my life. I love this process. I love the divine and I'm grateful for all of it.
that's the bigger picture for why you're doing it and how to do it. The words, Dr. Joe, I love you. People, I think, sometimes take love from an, they look at it as an emotional expression instead of a state of being. Is, is that mm-hmm. an issue in terms of when you say I love you, a lot of it's about, oh, I love you. And when we're working on spiritual practices, isn't love, uh, forgive me for being pejorative, but isn't love more of a state of being than an emotion? Interesting. You know, I out of all the interviews I've been doing on this subject for over 15 years, I don't think anybody has asked me about that in that particular way. What usually happens, well, I'll say this first, what usually happens is that people object to saying, I'm sorry, or please forgive me. Those are the two statements people object to, because most of the time they'll say, why should I say I'm sorry? Why should I say, please forgive me? I didn't do anything wrong. Right. <laughs> That's where they usually start. And I'll say, you know, the way you say it is if you were in a crowded grocery store, you were shoe shopping or something, and you bumped into the person beside them. Don't you naturally turn and say, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. That is the same energy and emotion that is behind, I'm sorry, please forgive me. It doesn't mean that you're guilty and you have to be condemned in some way or punished in some way. It means you were unconscious. You didn't see the person. You bumped into them. Say, I'm sorry. That's what you're saying with, I'm sorry, and please forgive me. I've always loved the phrase, I love you, because I, I've often been on shows and I would say, look, if four phrases seems like it's a little too much to put in your mental wheelbarrow, how about if you just say, I love you? Because if you walk around saying, I love you, you're going to feel different. Your inner vibe is going to be different. And what you emit is going to be different. Imagine if we were all walking around going, I love you. I love you. I love you. I think it's wise to have the emotion behind it. I one time asked Dr. Hulen, is it okay just to say the four phrases and you don't feel it? I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. No emotion behind them. And he said, yeah, that's totally fine. As long as you're saying them, you're still getting the result. I don't know that I agree. I've been doing this for 15 years, did three events with him, written three books about this, now working on a movie on it. I got my own weekly television show now where I'm expanding on all of this. And based on my experience after all of this time, almost two decades, I would say you need to feel it to actually make it work in a accelerated way. So to answer your question, I would say feeling the emotion of love is the right thing to do. It is the most beautiful, the most divine feeling, expression, and emotion that I could imagine that we would want to live from. So I would vote for feeling the emotion. I love you. One of the interesting things that Dr. Luen talks about is using Ho'oponopono with objects, with rooms that you go into. Uh, The great story in the book about going into a room and uh, had to talk to the chairs and can we have people sit here, et cetera. (laughs) Tell tell us about how that works because I think it's so important because you can expand the process to everything. And when you think about it, everything is an expression of the divine. So why not, you know, a tree, uh, a room, a car, a book. I mean, I took my novel after reading your book and I held it to my chest And I said, Mm. I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. Because of all the emotions that just went through me from working on it. And and I just felt it was the right thing to do. And I felt really good doing that. Yeah, that's beautiful. In Hawaiian philosophy to begin with, and in the Ho'oponopono that Dr. Hulan and I have been teaching, everything is alive. Everything is alive. You can stop right there. 
everything is alive. Now, if you go into the scientific world, you'd have to go talk to the quantum physicist who would tell you everything is energy. But what Dr. Hulan, I, and the Hawaiians are saying is that that energy is alive. And yes, when I wrote Zero Limits, I wrote it as the true first-person account of me hearing of the story of healing the mentally ill criminals, meeting Dr. Hulan. And so everything I learned in the book is a process of discovery for the readers, too. And I do remember even today going into that hotel room when I was going to have him give an introduction to some of my friends. And he wanted to go in the hotel room before anybody was there because he wanted to talk to the room. And to me, that was like, well, you want to what? And we go in the room and he says, yeah, the room says its name is Sheila. Uh, the room's name is Sheila. And the room is complaining because Sheila says too many people have been trampling on her. I'm like, what? They've been trampling on the carpet. You know, they've been trampling on Sheila. And he's done this. You know, I had him speak in Austin, Texas. And I remember uh, we were on a top floor and there was a beautiful skyline outside. And he said, do you know what I see when I look out the window? And we all turned to look out the window. It's like a beautiful nighttime skyline with the moon shining. And he said, graveyards, graveyards. The city is full of death. So he is looking from the Hawaiian perspective that everything is alive. And for the most part, everything is mistreated. Mm -hmm. How many of us, any of your listeners, walk into a room and pause long enough to ask the room, how are you doing? Are you okay with more people coming in the room? Are you okay if I walk on uh, in the room here? Um, by the same token, think of the level of respect that you would bring to each moment and to each item, thing, experience, person, place, animal, if you consider that it's alive. If you really walked into a room and thought, well, this room is alive and it's noticing I'm here and its, and it's name is Sheila and it's been trampled on quite a bit, aren't you going to be like David Carradine and Kung Fu walking on rice paper? Aren't you going to slow down and slowly go across the room because now you're paying reverence to it? And aren't you going to be more respectful of the room itself? Well, just think if we're doing that with rooms and floors and views out of skylines, how we would act if we started looking at people that way. If we looked at people with far more respect for their beingness, for their aliveness, than just thinking, well, that's Joe Blow, you know, who I work with, or that's my next door neighbor, wish him luck. They're always dressed funny. Instead of thinking like that, starting to think that everything is alive. And yes, I'm a big animal lover, and we adopted a French bulldog puppy a while back. And when you look at the French bulldog puppy or any puppy or any animal, you have the same feeling. This is like a sentient being, all of it. But at the same time, so is the pavement it's walking and peeing right. on, and so are the rocks all, all around us. So this is a big concept, and it's a head twister for most of us in the West and even a lot in the East, because we don't think in terms of life being everything. We think in terms of life being, well, you know, you and me, maybe the pets, maybe some insects, but for the most part, no, not everything. No, I'm a car guy, too. My car is alive. You have a very special car that you wrote about in the book, too. So, you know, it's interesting. We were having trouble when we were moving from New York out to uh, the West Coast. I had two pieces of property, fortunately, and couldn't sell either of them. One, I had to, I just couldn't get the price I wanted. And I spoke to the place that was my little retreat down the Jersey Shore. And I said, I, I, I love you. Thank you. Sir. We had wonderful times together here. Let's find, we're going to find you the right person to come here. So thank you. And I switched brokers. So I had to do something but the place sold within two weeks. 
and I got the highest price. I it was way beyond what I expected. I had the same issue in New York. We had three deals fell, fall through. I'm like, what, my wife and I were talking. We said, we're doing something wrong. And she said, we have to go back there, go to the energy there. We have to thank the place. We have to clean out, psychically clean out the energy in the place so oh, nice. somebody else can come in. And we did that. And then fortunately, right before the pandemic hit and things went crazy there for real estate, that it sold and it, and it went through. And that's just coincidence because I didn't know anything about this. And we try to do we try to do our very best to be in touch with the divinity and recognize the divinity in everybody. So thank you so much for this book. But And I don't think that was coincidence. I think that was paving the way for what you're doing right now. The very fact that some part of you knew that you were going to read Zero Limits. I don't know that there is any end to what we're doing in life, that the future really already exists and can send messages back. Some part of you knew you would be reading Zero Limits, talking to me, doing Ho'oponopono. So in a way, that whole experience of selling your property, going back, cleaning it and everything is is totally fitting, totally appropriate, and probably divinely orchestrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. And thank you so much. Of all the things, you know, it's what it's you're a wonderful man because not only are you so generous of spirit, but you've done you keep doing things. One of the things I love about you, and I have a marketing background, I worked in corporate advertising and marketing for years with the world's biggest brands, and I totally respect what you're doing and your skill level. And one of the things I love about what you're doing is you keep doing different things. And if something happens and it hits 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 a home run, great. If it's a single, great. You just keep going, and it seems like you are open to the divine inspiration. You are at zero, zero limits. So when, and I saw this throughout reading the book, Zero Limits, that when something comes to you, you launch a company. When something comes to you, that's a great idea. <laughs> Do something with it. And some of them go higher than others, but everyone is part of building something and giving and creating. And I think that's a really important message for our listeners that, you know, it's not about just doing one thing, just be open, get that channel open with the divine and keep mm -hmm. and act on it. Know when to have the uh, consciousness to act on things. I know I'm, I'm not expressing it the way you can. No, you're Dr. you're Joe. expressing beautifully. And there's also a nice compliment in there. So thank you. Um, I want to say a couple of things that have been Please. sparked by what you just said. And I think these are really important. First of all, when I was struggling back in homelessness, then in poverty, and then slowly climbing my way into some sort of level of success in the beginning, before there was a real takeoff, I kept hearing that I needed to have other avenues for income. And what that meant was I was so focused on making money as an author and only an author and only through my books, I couldn't see all the other ways of making money. It, just, it didn't exist as a possibility because my brain was locked down into author, author, author. As I slowly started to open that up, I don't even know that I knew what the word entrepreneur meant back then. As I started to think more like an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur looks for opportunities. An, oppor mm -hmm. uh, an entrepreneur is listening for complaints that can be turned into business. I started to think more like that. And then I realized, well, any idea that comes to me is a potential business. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I realized that as I pursued these different ideas, you never know what's going to actually connect, but there's a certain level of surging fun that comes through. Despite the fact that it may not work out financially, but you may get a great story out of it. You may get a great connection out of it. You may get some great resources out of it. There may be a great learning that comes from it that you apply to the next business adventure. I kept finding out that as long as I kept my mind open and I kept taking action, I was going to move forward. And here's the other thing I want to say. 
I was on a radio show a while back and they said, out of all the books you've written and all the books you've read and all the things you've done and all the experiences you've had, what's the one thing that really works? What's the one thing that really gets you to success? And I was a little irritated thinking one thing. There's a lot of things. Why one thing? And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. There is one thing. There is one thing. And it's the one thing that beats talent. It's the one thing that beats luck. It's the one thing that beats experience. It's the one thing that beats resources. What's that one thing? Persistence. Persistence. You get up every day and you keep moving forward. As long as you keep moving forward, at some point in, the, in your future, you stop and you look back and you go, oh, wait a minute, I wrote 80 books. And you look back, wait a minute, I recorded 15 albums. Wait a minute, I was in 20 movies. Wait a minute, I have 200 online programs. Wait a minute, I've been to virtually every country on the planet, most of which I never even heard of when I was growing up and failing geography, because persistence will win out. There you go. That's a perfect way to end our interview, and hopefully there'll be more. But Dr. Joe, please tell our listeners, first of all, thank you. You're, I have the intention, but you're an inspiration. So thank you. And <laughs> please thank tell you. our listeners where they can learn more about you, pick up your books, your online programs. you got so much going on. I'll turn it over to you. Well, well, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm flattered and honored. Uh, my books are on Amazon. The first book is Zero Limits. That's on Ho'oponopono. The book that got me into the secret was The Attractor Factor. My most recent book is Karmic Marketing. And Karmic Marketing is really my secret to building an online empire. So you might, might want to pick up Karmic Marketing. Uh, I do have a weekly online television show. It's called Zero Limits Living. And they can watch it on Amazon Fire, on Apple TV, on Roku, on YouTube. I can simplify everything and say, just go to www.zerolimitslivingtv.com. Zerolimitslivingtv.com. And there I'll post all the episodes. It's a brand new show, but I'm having fun doing it. I'm all over the internet. I have a website, vitalilifemastery.com. Um, I have lots of websites. I'm on Instagram and Facebook is Dr. Joe Vitale, D-R Joe Vitale. And uh, just do a Google search and I'll show up. I got to tell you, I'm so honored. And I, I, I thank mm. you just for your presence, but also just in dealing with you to get you on the show. You are a complete gentleman and a pleasure. And you just oh. like everything else. You saw the opportunity, you made a decision, and we did it, and here we are. So thank you so much, Dr. Joe Vitale, for being on Guys Guys Radio. I hope we can do it again. Anytime you like. Thank you, Robert. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, what a wonderful way to celebrate our 500th episode of Guys Guys Radio with the amazing Dr. Joe Vitale, star of the movie and the book, The Secret. We talked about his book today, Zero Limits, The Secret Hawaiian System for Wealth, Health, Peace, and More, and the Hawaiian Teachings of Ho'oponopono. Just an amazing spiritual modality. I'm so glad I learned about it. I've been using it for the past month, and it's all centered around the phrase, I love you, I'm sorry, forgive me, thank you. I can only speak from my own experience. I've been doing this for about a month and it's really helped me. I feel so much lighter. I have so much more energy now. 
because I've managed to kind of assuage so many of these situations that have been kind of embedded in me from the, from the past and even ones from, from the present. I see something comes up and somebody tells me about something. I'm not going to take on their problem, but because I've heard it, it's in my realm and I can kind of clean it up. And I think it helps me and also helps them. You have to have some faith when you do this, because if you're just going through the motions, of course, like anything else, it's not going to work. So you have to put your intention there. So I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. Guys, Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. The podcast and my YouTube post worldwide every Thursday. There is a rebroadcast of the KCAA show every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. You can also stream the show. You can download the show. You can listen to the podcast wherever you consume your podcasts. And you can get the interview portion of our shows on video on YouTube. Just go to Robert Manny on YouTube and it'll take you to Guys Guys TV. Now, if you enjoy the content and the interviews I bring you each and every week to the show, I would ask you to kindly subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your podcast. And also, because it's new, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It really makes a difference. And it's very simple. You subscribe. You don't have to get alerts or whatever. Just subscribe and it really helps us. So, And it costs you nothing. So thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure for me to do this show. I am so appreciative. The time's gone by quickly for 500 shows and 600 interviews. I've learned so much. Hopefully, my listeners, my team out there, you guys have learned a lot also. And again, like I always say, I don't expect everybody to take everything that every guest has to say verbatim as like, that's it, and that's how I'm going to roll. You have to pull out what works for you, and what works for you might not work for me, and what works for me might not work for you, because you know what? It doesn't matter. There's many paths on the the spiritual journey, if you will, and just in the journey of life. So you got to pick out what works for you. And I totally respect that. And that's why I bring you so many different guests from so many walks of life. And it's been such a pleasure. So first, a couple of quick thank yous. I want to thank Chris Marcello, my producer, Ryan Kilpatrick, who was my producer for many years. I want to thank Dave Paziri and his band Noba for our opening track, and also Tyler Gilpatrick for our closing track. And I want to thank all my 600 guests. They're just wonderful, cool people, thought leaders, and a lot of them have become friends. And I'm so pleased and honored to have uh, made their acquaintance and got to talk to them and have real conversations with them. But most of all, I want to thank you, my listeners and viewers out there. You've been so amazing. And there's more and more of you. And I'm here for you. And I'm going to bring you the very best guests that I possibly can that's going to help everybody. So thank you so much. I'm here for you. And we've got a lot more shows ahead of us. Guys, Guys Radio, and as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. 